Hi class, let's start the chapter. Okay, this is chapter 11. In this chapter, what we will be talking about imperfect competition. We spoke about the perfect competition and now we're talking about the imperfect competition which is chapter 11. So in this chapter, we will be, the objective is to explain the importance uh, and effects of a product, differentiation, including the advertisement. We will differentiate between the two types of imperfect competition, explain why monopolistically competitive firms tend to have an excess capacities and unlikely to uh, earn a long run economic profit. We're also gonna describe the main characteristic of oligopoly market, very important, and explain why a large firms are often tempted to call out a firm and form a cartel. <clears throat> and explain the price leadership and why oligopolists takes firms are reluctant to change the price very often. So what's an imperfect competition? A market is, it is a market structure in which the producers are identifiable and have some control over the prices, like a monopoly, but a little bit more uh, firms, and they are identifiable. And in the imperfect competition, there is two forms of these kind of uh, imperfect competitions. One is a monopolistic competition, and we spoke about them earlier chapters, and oligopoly. Now, um, the in the imperfect competition, there is what you call a product differentiation, which is attempt to distinguish a firm's products from its competitors. There is also what we see is a firm often compete on a base other than prices, could be advertisement, could be um, product perfection, better usage, and they always have a logos, symbols, brand, locations, service and develop, product development, as we see in the uh, companies who provide gas for, for example, in Canada. And often they use an extensive advertising like we see um, Coke versus Pepsi, for example, or Nike versus Adidas. In the advertising, the, the reason people see there is a benefit from these companies doing advertising. And it is, see when we said they are trying to differentiate often involved through the advertising. So what's the benefit of advertising? Well, they say it, it provides the consumer with the vital information. Like you, for example, you know, SO's amount of ethanol, you know, how much they use gas and all these versus the Mohawk, how much ethanol, how much is good for the environment, what kind of uh, 
things that they can use. They keep advertising these saying how it's good for the car, how it's bad for the car, something like that. And so they provide an consumer with the vital information, enhance the competition between two firms, between firms in general. Well, so it, it lowers the prices of the product when there is a more competition. And uh, on the other hand, it's finances, my, magazines and television and ads, uh, shows uh, and other also. So like you would see probably so sponsor uh, hockey team like uh, Maple Leafs and um, <clears throat> Mohawk will probably uh, sponsor, uh, I don't know, Jets, uh, probably. On the other side, what they're seeing, they're trying to criticize the fact that the advertisement is, they say, mostly not informative and wasteful. It's just showing ads, how strong you get when you drink a Coke or a Pepsi and why you should be, you know, it is just a wasteful of a, not informative. Uh, encourage the concentration within the industries so they, you know, um, keep them in a, in a, for example, in a soft drink industries instead of thinking of juices and milk and other things. And also raise, says the prices to determine, determine uh, of the consumers. Also they have a tendency because they, you know, more advertisement, more costing, is that cause, uh, you know, more, uh, more expensive products. So there is, we said there is types of imperfect uh, competition and we talked about monopolistic competition and oligopoly. In the monopolistic competition, a market in which many firms sell a differentiated product and have some control over the prices. But in the oligopoly is a market dominated by a few large firms. And the way you do it is probably through, a, because they are very similar, you do it through probably a calculation in which it's, we can, I can uh, we will see it later on. So the both have a few, a few firms, but in the case of monopolies, they have a more firms, oligopolies, a few large firms. Now, how you differentiate is by concentration ratio. The percentage of an industry's total sales that is controlled by a large, just a few firms. So if you have lots, uh, you take all the total sales, uh, what percentage of it is sold by the largest uh, few firms, then you can, See, uh, see whether it's a monopoly or a oligopoly. And there is something so called the four-firm concentration ratio, which is the percentage of sales revenue by the first or the four largest firms industries. If is less than 40% their sales revenue, then it's being monopolistic competition. 
And if it's these sales of the fourth largest company is higher than 40% of total sales, total revenue, then it is an oligopoly. We have an oligopoly. So this is how they differentiate. So the four firms concentration ratios in the motor vehicle, you've seen that uh, it's changed from 82%, 87 becomes 100. For example, in uh, tires, used to be 86.2, now 99.3, sold by the top four of them. You might have a different names for them. Don't get uh, you know uh, confused. They might have, like for example, Procter and Gamble. They do have a mono uh, oligopoly over uh, you know uh, uh, lots of product, but they come up with a different name. They put it in the front, like you know, you have in the detergent. There's so many kind, but if you look at the bottom, saying produced by Procter and Gamble, for example, um, you have the coffee and the tea. In 1990, was 76% was sold by the top four. Now they're 97%. So there is a tendency to move in from monopolistic competition to oligopoly in these products, these industries. Now, how do we know, how we do, do this calculation? Basically, as a straightforward, is the first we do, we pick up the first four here. Okay, of the first four, we add them together and we divide them on the total and we find the percentage. So it's done like this. The fourth largest companies, which is 22 plus 17 here, plus 12 and plus uh, 15. So the fourth largest, fourth largest is company A, then come company C and company D and company F. You add them together, divide by the total 92 and whatever is the percentage, if it's higher than 40%, we said is uh, oligopoly. If it's less, then it's monopoly. So in this, in this case, because it's a higher than 40%, it is oligopoly. Now, in the monopolistic competition, the characteristic of it is many small firms that acting independent. So we have, we said um, perfect competition, imperfect competition. With an imperfect competition, the list, it comes in monopolistic, oligopoly, and the last one on that other side is monopoly. So the Monopolistic competition has a many small firms acting independently. There is some kind of a freedom of entries. Products are a little bit differentiated and each firm has some control over a price. Not 100%, but some control over their price because the product is a little bit differentiated. In general, the elasticity of demand will depend on the number of rival firms and the degree of product differentiation. And the reason, if there is lots of rival firms, so the consumer have a choice between selecting different firms to get their service or product. 
And if there is a differentiation, consumer will can, can differentiate if you increase something price, price of somebody, some product compared to other. And with, they can shift to something according to the differentiation. So there is a price elasticities is depend on the number of arrival uh, or competition firms and the degree of product differentiation. The more differentiation, the more elasticity is there. The more rivals firms, the more elasticity there. In monopolistic competition, there are many rival firms. There is not a lot of differentiation. Okay, so in in uh, if you create more differentiation, then will cause elasticity. But in the monopolistic, there is not much differentiation, as we said earlier. But there is lots of competition, so this leads to a lot of choice for consumers, uh, an elastic demand curve. So you in, in the gas stations, for example. If you have a one more, because there's not much differentiation between their product, what will happen? You increase a price, they move to the another one. And there is a rival. So you go on a one street, you find six companies provide or 10 companies provide gas to them. So this is a kind of a monopolistic competition between them. So the demand is elastic and changes as the price changes. Now, in the monopolistic competition, which is, we said, very, it's a closest uh, uh, part of imperfect market to perfect market. It is, we may have an economic profit in a short term because it's a close, but we said, you remember, we said, in the perfect competition in a long term, there is no uh, profit in a short term, there might be a profit. It's the same thing. May have an economic profit in the short term, and to maximize this profit, where the marginal cost, which is this one, is meet the marginal revenue. And we said, in the monopoly, they don't go with the demand; they use the marginal revenue. So it takes like a part of the perfect competition. It takes part of the uh, monopoly and. Uh, it comes up with its own characteristics of monopolistic competition. And it's basically, you know, in the monopoly, how you set the product and the price is actually where you intersect the marginal cost with the marginal revenue. You go down, and this is the quantity you provide, and you go up to the demand to set up the price, and this is the profit area. That's in the uh, perfect competition uh, monopoly also we do this. So maximizing the profit producing where is marginal cost and marginal revenue intersect. At this point, if the price higher than cost, the economic profit will obviously uh, total quantity multiplied by the difference of this. So this area will be the profit. In the long run, because it is, uh, we said, it's very close to perfect competition, if has a positive profit and new firms start entering, and we said in the perfect competition, more profit, more suppliers comes in. More, but then more, once the more entries comes in, 
we notice that more consumer choice moves the firm demand uh, left and flatten. So as the suppliers start entering, then we notice that two things is happening. One is uh, demand shift in, but also most more important, the demand become more flatter means more elastic because there is more options. We will have that keep moving until when it reaches to the perfect competition, it gets more flattened. So we will have only normal profit in a long run. So the normal profit, it's happening at the P2. So that's the typical firms where, you know, the price hit the demand, the average cost equal with the demand. So we notice there is a shift, not only shift in, we notice also there is a flat happening, flatten. So just to understand, assume that the representative firm a monopolistic competition is experiencing is a loss. What's a series of what will happen if there is a loss happen? Now, when a start loss, some company cannot sustain this loss, so they will exit. In the same time, the demand curve uh, shift to the right for all remaining uh, firms. So some of them will exit and in the same time, the demand curve starts shifting because we said it would be shifting in and then start shifting to the right again. And this will continue step one and step two until uh, have a normal profit. If it, there's lots of, uh, I'm sorry, if there is a lots of, uh, instead of loss, there's a profit, it will be different. If some firms start um, entering and more entering and the demand curve start shifting to the left and remain on all remaining firms and then keeps continuing until it's balancing. There is something called uh, a blocking entries. In the blocking entries, basically, if the uh, if entries of the competitor can be blocked, uh, positive economic profit can be maintained in the long run. So if I'm blocking people from entering, then I can generate more increasing the price and generate more uh, money and more profit. But that's not get to do with the pricing and quantity, that get to do with the things like a professional association, like you know the doctor association, the lawyer association in North America, it's difficult to entry. The chartered accountant, you cannot be coming from different uh, countries without writing these tests to enter and these tests are difficult to, to write. So these are a blocking. Uh, you can uh, blocking entry. So professional association, the perception that only members are competent. The government policies like a licensing, you cannot enter without a license so the uh, companies can operate who has the license, the others cannot. And the other one is 
in the business franchising, which is we know how the franchising uh, works. In the franchising, franchise can create a national wide business with the competitive advantage, how? Is by large scale advertising. So when you see a McDonald's advertising, is actually uh, McDonald's is doing advertising for the whole, the franchises of McDonald's. And uh, so it's a large scale advertising. A small restaurant cannot do that. So there is more spending on these advertisements. And then they have also what you call a bulk purchasing. So usually, you know, McDonald's, uh, uh, Burger King, Tim Hortons, they purchase the goods and resell it to, to the franchisees. And they buy big bulk, so it's cheaper for them, and they sell it uh, to the franchisees. So its cost for uh, them is lower for the for McDonald's and for the resellers of McDonald's. And there is a branding. They always make sure that there is a branding attached to their product so people recognize their branding and differentiate between them. But in return, each member firms has to pay a fees to be part of these franchisees, so we know that, and have an exclusive kind of a uh, geography territories. If only other large scale franchisee can compete, this firm can enter, like only who compete with the Burger King somehow um, is McDonald's and, uh, you know, KFC probably, because they are smaller and bigger, very, cl very close to each other. McDonald's and Burger King, Pepsi in, yeah, McDonald's and Burger King is a very clear uh, competition between them. Now, the positive side, as they think, for a monopolistic competition is a produce at the uh, lower output. It produces a lower output than perfect competitive firms. So they don't consume a lot, but they don't really um, achieve the productivity efficiencies. They are not efficient because there is no competition. So they don't need to lower the price very low. So in a long run equilibrium, uh, price does not equal with the minimum total cost as in the perfect competition. The charges are higher prices than the perfect competitive. Uh, we know that because they don't need to compete with the, you know, many companies. They compete with the one or two, so they can keep the price high. And eventually, they don't, uh, or they does not uh, achieve allocative efficiencies. Price exceeds the marginal cost. When the price exceeds the marginal cost, they don't need to be efficient to perform. So if the firm is monopolistic competitive, what would be the output it produce? So basically it produce as we did it in, we saw it in the uh, uh, monopoly is where marginal revenue, this one, we said 
it doesn't, they go, uh, they don't care about the demand, they go with marginal revenue equal with the marginal cost. And then they determine the quantity and then they go up and they determine the price. So how much is the difference is actually, if they were a perfect competition, it would be the Q4. We know if it would be the Q4, what is the marginal revenue equal with the average cost. But here is at this quantity, uh, the difference Q4 minus Q2. Now we have one step toward monopoly, which is uh, oligopoly. The last one is monopoly. This before it is oligopoly. So in the oligopoly is, is dominated by a few large firms. Excuse me. So in the oligopoly, it's dominated by a few large firms. Entry by a new firm is difficult if it's not very difficult. Non-price competition between firms is widely practiced. Each firm has a significant control over its price and a mutual interdependence exists between these firms. So they don't compete on the price. They compete over, uh, each firm has a significant, because they have a control over the price. They compete between them is always like, so that within the oligopoly, there's a competition, but the whole oligopoly is probably, they don't compete with others uh, on the price. But there is a mutual interdependence because they sign some kind of, or they have some kind of an agreement to be to cooperate with each other. Now, in oligopolies, products can be either homogeneous like the steel or differentiated like the automobiles, like we see in the cars here for GMs. Uh, these are and oligopoly. And there is a mutual independence between them. The condition in which a firm action depend in a part on the reaction of the firms. And we will explain in the next slide what we mean here. Now, what's a collision? A collision, it is an agreement among suppliers to set up the price of a product or the quantity will produce. So they can set up a price because they are the producers or they play with the quantities, reduce the quantities so the price goes up and down. So these are uh, an agreement among them, whether it's written, official or unofficial. And we said they compete with each other, not over price, but they do have what you call a game theory, which makes it more interesting in oligopoly. It is a method of analyzing firms that highlight mutual interdependence among the firms. Let's see, in the game theory, a situation where each rival chooses the best action for themselves, but giving their anticipated what the others will do. So in the game theory, that's how the oligopolies firms, they work together, says 
we have an oligopoly made of two companies, Amans and Omars. And let's assume um, Amans and Omars, they have some kind of agreement, but they do some kind of a, a game theory. And Amans does sit together, sit with themselves, analyzes. I would not cheat because the another is not cheating the other firm because, and if we don't, both of us not cheating, each one will sell 125. But here, if they think that the other would not cheat, and they say, well, let's cheat, then 140, they will sell 100, these guys, so they lose 100 and 140 goes to this. Keep in mind, here is the total 150. Here is, the total will lose, but they're going to gain 15. If they don't cheat and the other cheat, then what we will have, they becomes 100, like this one, and the other will make, because they're cheating, is 140. But in the both case, if the both cheat together, then what will happen 105 and 105? One of the causing of the war between Iraq and Kuwait is this game theory, is because Saddam Hussein claimed that Kuwait is cheating, selling too much oil, and hence the price of the oil is going down, so he went and invaded Kuwait. So that's one of the reason he, he said, claimed that this is the reason I invaded, because Kuwait is cheating on the oil supply, which is reducing the price of it. Now let's have a total understanding, assuming two firms running a shoe industries. Uh, we're not gonna go through this, neither this. So uh, a cartel is, um, Just a second. Okay, a cartel is association of sellers acting in union with each other together. For example, we have the organization of petroleum and exporting countries. So in the early days, we had what you call monopoly moving to oligopolies cartel. So in the cartel, we usually have uh, an organization, you know, few working as a one body. For example, organization of petroleum exporting countries, which is OPEC able to increase the price by restricting, lowering the output of their oil. Cartel works the advantage of their members only if there is a cheating among the participants. So the Iraq and Kuwait was part of the cartel and they assumed that Kuwait was cheating. So it works if they don't cheat. In the non-collision oligopoly, the rival, uh, when the uh, when the rival 
uh, firms engage in what amount as a price fixing without over collagen. Is that you have a leader, usually the largest or the most efficient firm, set the price of other firms to follow. Like as we see in the cartel, Saudi Arabia set the price because they are the largest producers in OPEC and the others will follow them through setting the price. But in the cartel, they try to do reductions of quantities or increases. Um, but must be balanced in advantage of the increases with the risk of change. So the issues that what's happened between Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia, or recently, they agreed on both lowering the quantity, but then when they had disagreement between each other, and you saw in the video, suddenly um, Russia decided uh, not to lower their, and then Saudi Arabia decided to increase, and that reduced the prices totally. Some believe that oligopolies are too powerful and they produce inefficiencies. Others take the view that oligopolies are cutting edge of the technology because, because they make profit. And in the long run, they push the average cost of production down as what we said, too many, they produce a lot. Uh, and once they produce a lot, the cost goes down as we justified it for monopoly case. So in the end, the important, uh, we talked about the importance of different uh, product differentiation, the two types of imperfect competition, monopolistic competition and oligopoly and their characteristic. We also spoke about the monopolistic competitive firm have a normal profit and excess capacities in the long term. The strategies of collision and leadership and price leadership, and we spoke about the oligopoly. And thank you.